Hey everyone, welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Excited for episode number 49. My guest this week is AJ Jacobs, best-selling author. Really glad you're here. It's 70 degrees in sunny Los Angeles. Imagining that it's spring wherever you are, the birds are chirping. Really happy that uh, AJ sat down with me for this week's show. As a reminder, I always answer any question I get around podcasting. Love to help people in that field. So if you want to email me, Ryan at InfluencerEconomy.com, I will get you started on your podcasting way. Also, uh, find me on Twitter uh, at Ryan J. Will is my Twitter. Please uh, send me a note. Love to hear from you as well. And if you're listening on iTunes, if you hit the subscribe button and leave a comment, that really helps get more visibility for the show. So thank you as always. I'm grateful for everyone that listens to the podcast. Look forward to hearing what you think about this episode. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to Stories from the Influencer Economy. Excited for this episode with AJ Jacobs. AJ, how you doing? I'm good. Pleasure to be here. It's great having you on the show for a, a myriad of reasons because you're an author and you've called yourself a guinea pig writer in the sense that you True. really immerse yourself in your, your subject matters. That's it. A lot of people, they just... They write what they know, but you actually live and experience it. You've, you have a book where you've read uh, an encyclopedia series from A to Z for a year. Was that, that called Li- Becoming Smart? That was called The Know-It-All. The Know-It-All, uh, that's right. But now I'm, uh, I'm the Know-It-Some. I've you know, forgotten quite a bit. Yeah, so you, you've, you've documented that experience. You're a writer at Esquire. You've also you know, written books that you've, uh, you've lived biblically for a year where you grew True. a beard. And actually- A um, huge one. My, my, a huge one, my babysitter for my daughter, I mentioned you and I was tell, telling her about like all the crazy books you've written and she said she's seen you based on living biblically. Oh, like walking down the street? Like As in like on person? television. Oh, on television. Gotcha. <laughs> but okay. she said that, and she's a 65 year old woman, so you're reaching a lot of different demos. Listen, they buy books just like uh, anyone else, so probably more. <laughs> And what I really respect about your work is that you put your your money where your mouth is, lack of a better term. And so with my book, The Influencer Economy, I created the podcast, you know, well over a year before the book's coming out. So I've had 45 episodes so far and looking for a publisher at this point. But I, I feel like I'm trying to create my own experiment with influence. And can I grow a podcast community? Can I add value to people? And I'm the ultimate guinea pig in this sense, where if I associate myself with people that I respect and look up to, will that will there be an Oprah effect where people perceive me as smart? And and I actually am not some internet celebrity or famous person, so it hasn't <laughs> completely worked. <laughs> but um, I, I mean, yeah, that's, I think the best way to write is to do it. Uh, I wouldn't want to read a podcast book by someone who doesn't have his own podcast. Uh, and that's the way I feel about my books. You know, I don't, when they say write what you know, yeah, but I don't really know much. So I like to go out there and experience it and learn it, and then I can write what I know. And so when you dedicate yourself to a year like for uh, living biblically, I mean, how much does that cramp your style as a spouse and as a father? And then also you, you've written books where you've like outsourced your life for a month, and they've out, out, yeah. outsourced your, your work to babysitting and arguing with your wife. It was pretty awesome. But these projects definitely take over my life. Uh, like the Bible one, it, it changed how I did everything, how I walked and talked and uh, shaved and 
touch my wife. They are all encompassing. And it can be good and bad. You know, I, I love it because I feel like I'm taking a crash course. My family, uh, you know, they have uh, mixed feelings. Some of it they like, some of it maybe not so fond of. And so what what's it take to actually dedicate yourself, for example, li- living biblically for a year and actually executing on that and then writing about it? How, how do you survive, first of all, financially? And then also as a writer, how, I mean, that's a, such a long process to actually live it and then produce the book afterwards. Well, yeah. Uh, I mean, I was trying to follow all the hundreds of rules of the Bible. So everything from the Ten Commandments to love your neighbor to but not to don't shave the corners of your beard. I didn't know where the corners were, so I just let the whole thing grow. And then, um, you know, there was don't wear clothes made of mixed fibers. So it was all-encompassing. And to commit, I think part of it was what I found a secret in everything I do is you just force yourself uh, the whole idea of outer shaping the inner. Like if you force yourself to do it for long enough, it starts to stick and it starts to change your mind. So there's a great quote. I wish I could say I coined it, but it's uh, the it's easier to act your way into a new way of thinking than to think your way into a new way of acting. So if I was like acting, like during this year, I had to not gossip and lie and covet. I mean, how do you do that? Uh, But yeah, no, I think that is the best way. For me, the best way to build a habit is like, uh, you know, they talk about vicious cycles. There's also virtuous cycles. So you force yourself to do something, then eventually the momentum catches on. Like even with writing, if I have writer's block, a lot of times I get to the computer, I don't really feel inspired, but I will force myself to type something. It could just be random words. It could be like, you know, about the pigeon on my windowsill. But I force my fingers to click those keys. And after about 20 minutes, I start to get in a little more of a groove. So I, I know that those first 20 minutes are just going to be complete uh, hogwash. But I knew that I'll never get to the good stuff unless I force myself to uh, just type. That's the whole key, the action. Making it part of your daily ritual where it's not a choice anymore. Mm-hmm. You, just have to, you have to do it. Exactly. And then if you're living biblically, can you share any encounters you had with people walking down the street looking at you and wondering what you were doing or how do you, you know, have Thanksgiving or holidays with your families and, <laughs> you know, keep them up to date when you only see those cousins once a year? Well, I definitely, I looked uh, bizarre. So I had the beard and really towards the end, I was really getting into it. So I had the sandals and the robe. So I really looked like Moses and people would, uh, on the street, some people would cross to the other side. Really? Yeah, that was, you know. Some people were very nice and thought I was homeless and would give me money. So that was an interesting... Re- I've, as a biblical guy, I felt I had to give that to charity, so I didn't actually make money <laughs> yes. on it. Uh, now you would keep but, it. <laughs> exactly. Now, if, I, if times get tough, then I can always grow the beard back and see what would happen. So people treat you differently. It's like your appearance really mattered a lot more than just being a nondescript... Oh, yeah. And how does that, did that change how you acted at all? Oh, totally. I mean, yeah. it's that whole thing that like when you look different, then you'll act different. Even something like 
wearing white. There's a, a rule in Ecclesiastes that says your garments should always be white. So I took that literally, and I only wore white clothes, white pants. I looked like Tom Wolfe. I looked like I was about to play Wimbledon. And it was weird what effect that had on my brain. I felt like cleaner and more pure and lighter and uh, happier. Uh, and people would treat me differently when they saw the white clothing. There, there was almost – it sent off – this uh, vibe, like, oh, he must be some sort of light to the world. <laughs> so people like respected and, uh, you or looked at you, yeah, like you were more like of a moral person or better. That's than- it. I mean, we are so yeah. It's our brains are really irritating in how much we rely on uh, on outer appearances. I wish it weren't the case. I wish it weren't. But you know, the whole thing about when we see an attractive person there's the halo effect we think they're they're more interesting they're more intelligent i'm not a fan of that but i guess if you're gonna be a human and live in society you might as well try to take advantage of it i actually don't really take advantage of it because i don't keep up my appearance if i were really committed to being super successful i would you know get that 300 dollars haircut and i would uh tweeze my eyebrows and try to look as sharp as possible because sadly those first impressions make a difference but i don't i so i'm a hypocrite and i'm okay with that so when you're you're living biblically people have more judgments more preconceived notions because you look different um and then how do you explain what you're doing to people would you just say you're writing a book or would you try to get a like, I could just say a- what I was doing, you know, because telling the truth is part of the Bible. So <laughs> one time I was in the uh, in Central Park and uh, I was dressed to my biblical uh, character. And this guy came up to me and he said, why are you dressed like that? And I said, well, I'm trying to follow all the rules of the Bible from the Ten Commandments to stoning adulterers. And he says, well, I'm an adulterer. Are you going to stone me? And I responded. That would be fantastic. That is exactly what's a very lovely offer. So I took out a handful of stones that I had been carrying just for this occasion, and they were very small. They were small, like pebble size, because I didn't want to actually hurt him. And I showed him the stones and said, can I throw these at you? He, he was very aggressive. He grabbed them out of my hand and threw them at my face. Wow. So I felt an eye for an eye is also in the Bible, and I threw one back at him. So that is how I stoned an adulterer. That's incredible. So you're, <laughs> I mean, not even playing a character. This is real. I mean, it crosses that line when physicality comes involved. That is true. But yeah, I think the idea of, uh, there's a phrase, you know, method acting. I'm sure you've heard method acting. I like the idea of, of applying method acting to writing, method writing. But even if you're not a writer, trying things out, trying a, like, like, for instance, uh, I used to hate public speaking. I became a writer specifically so I could sit in a room alone and not speak publicly. But I realized it was a huge part of the job, mm-hmm. and it gets bigger every day. So I forced myself to go to every speech that I could and uh, and get up whenever I, I could and pretended that I looked like I was enjoying it. And eventually I started to enjoy it, and now it's my favorite part of the job. And you've given some really funny TED Talks. Oh, well, thanks. I used to do stand-up comedy, and I uh, dropped the mic. I gave it up. It was too much. 
when you go to a, a open mic night and people want to laugh after a bad day at work and it's a <laughs> mm-hmm. recipe for disaster. That is tough. That is tough. I agree. That's like when my wife says, uh, this is the funniest story. This is the funniest joke. I always say, don't do that. Lower the expectations. Yes. So, yeah. And that I also find when people write for humor magazines or when the, the page in the magazine says humor or uh, wit or shouts and murmurs, that's tough. I'd yeah. rather just go in with no expectations and then surprise them by being interesting or funny. Even just talking to you now, you have a very deadpan way of, of delivering your material. And <laughs> your TED you, Talks are very much like you catch the audience off guard. Your most recent one was about your global family reunion. And you talked about how you were related to Gwyneth Paltrow and Kevin Bacon and all these actors. You even quote your cousin, Hillary Rodham Clinton. It seems like you're, you're very unassuming on stage. And this is my own, uh, you know, uh, uh, unfiltered opinion. Take it for what it is. But you're, <laughs> but you're very un- unassuming. And then you have this like wicked sense of humor that I think catches people off guard because in a lot of ways you're taking on serious subject matter. Well, that's nice of you to say. Yeah, I do think that you can do take on serious subject matter with humor. Like, uh, I'm friends with Morgan Spurlock, the filmmaker, and he says you know you need a little, a little cotton candy with your broccoli, which is actually not a very delicious combination. Now that I think about it, you <laughs> may want first you want broccoli and then cotton candy. You don't want to mix them, but in terms of entertainment, I do think mixing serious and and funny is a great way to go. Because that's life. Life is tragic, but also funny. And so what's it like once you write a book? You're mentioning about your doing speaking engagements. And you say it's part of the process and part of the, the program. You know, what type of promotion are you doing once the book comes out after you've spent this labor of love and a lot of time researching and living it? And now you're actually having to go on the road. I've actually tried to approach marketing like a creative endeavor. That's the best. That's the only way that I can do it without driving myself crazy. So, when uh, I wrote the the Bible book, I said, "How can I make this appeal to all these different markets, like women's magazines? How can I get into women's magazines?" And I said, "Well, the Bible does talk about love and sex and relationships. Uh, so, what if I wrote a uh, you know sex advice from the Bible?" for glamour or a women and I did they accepted it so I was able to and by the way yeah the, the song of Solomon very racy very racy they, <laughs> they they censor it a lot but he says to the his lover your breasts are like twin gazelles grazing among the lilies <laughs> so that I thought was uh, spicy it's provocative <laughs> uh, but yeah that's what I'm doing and I'm doing the same thing for my new book which is all about family. So how can I market that? And so I'm talking to parenting sites, but I'm also talking to economic sites. I'm a LinkedIn influencer, whatever that oh, means. Oh, yeah. Hey, me so too. Me too. I mean, we're really uh, hey, look we're at us. in rarefied air. <laughs> we are influencing right now. Uh, but I thought, well, how can I market this idea? Because the idea is that I'm throwing the biggest family reunion ever. It's like a festival on June 6th. You're invited, yeah. Ryan. I need you there. Is it? It's, it's all online. Invited. Well, you can watch it online because I can't live go to New York City. I don't think. 
You should, though. You I really would like to. I'm going to the smart. beach. It's what, What's the date? June? June 6th, oh. Saturday. Okay. And it's going to be, uh, I'm pitching it as Burning Man, but with a lot of uh, families. So there'll be TED-like speakers like Henry Louis Gates, comedians like Michael Ian Black and, and Andy Borowitz. But there's uh, he's, he's, and music, Sister Sledge. Andy Borowitz like, is hysterical. Oh, he is. I love him. I love Borowitz him. And I like when people take his articles as true. <laughs> and people like share them on social media. They need the emoticon, the winking yeah, emoticon. The sarcastic maybe. emoticon. Well, that's, like, that's a lot of uh, eclectic type of people. Yeah, it is going to be the most diverse. That's my goal. I want it to be every race, creed, and color. Like all, uh, I want it to look like the cover of a liberal arts uh, college catalog. Just like every race you can think of. Or the United Color of Benetton. Those old yes, the, the magazines or the village people maybe the that village too. People. You need some cop, yeah. cops and, and firemen, and <laughs> construction workers. We do have. Uh, I'm bringing in a an atheist, a rabbi, a reverend, an imam, and a Buddhist monk, and they're going to give sort of a joint blessing to the. Uh, it's essentially. It sounds like you're fascinated by genealogy and the fact that the internet can plug us in to people, and that. In essence, you're trying to show that we're, we all have a lot in common, and hopefully by this it's a metaphor that relationally, you know, we don't have as many differences as we really think we That's do. That's it. That, that is the big thesis, that we're all connected, and th- it's like the ultimate social network. And, and it's made possible because of the internet, because now you can go on pretty easily on, onto some of these sites like Genie or Wikitree or Family Search or Find My Past. And you go on and you can be part of these mega mammoth family trees to see how you're related to Albert Einstein, Gwyneth Baltrow, you name it. And, the, like, and it's not always close. Barack Obama is my, uh, my aunt's fifth grade aunt's husband's brother's wife's seventh grade nephew. Oh, wow. So, so you, call, you call him Barry. So yeah. I call him there. I invite him over for Thanksgiving. Cousin Barry. But he, uh, yeah, cousin. So, but I just love the idea that we are all connected. It's just the and that is getting back to the way I'm I'm getting the word out on LinkedIn. I'm about to write a piece about how this is like the ultimate networking tool. This global uh-huh. family tree, because if I want to interview someone. I type their name into one of these websites, then I figure out how they're related. So I wanted to get a president uh, involved. So I figured out how George H.W. Bush was related to me. And I called his chief of staff and said, I want to interview the president. By the way, I'm his cousin. Uh, And she's like, well, your family, I guess uh, it's okay. So I went down to Houston and I interviewed him. And Told him how we're cousins. We, you know, we're like twenty-seven steps away, but we're still linked. And I love it. It's it just is. Uh, I think for the next few years, it's it's going to be like Facebook. And even though it's distant, it still makes a difference. It, it makes you feel like, all right, we are. There is a link there. We are. We are part of this big family. So what did you and George H. Walker Bush talk about? Oh, we talked about all sorts of things. Uh, how he was related to Bill Clinton, who they were, the, I think, about seventh cousins. Oh, wow. And he liked that. And his wife was there. She said she always considered Clinton to be a son from another mother. Oh, so wow. 
It's a bold statement. Was. <laughs> it was bold. Now, this was before Clinton's wife was running against her son. So, yeah. I don't know. If she was and not, not everyone wants to claim Bill Clinton as their own. <laughs> so, I respect that she, she spoke truthfully about that. <laughs> <laughs> I am loving it. And uh, it is a fascinating project. I do think, as I said, it is, this is like the social network of the future. So then if you're talking to George Bush, is Michael Ian Black a part of the book as well and Morgan Spurlock? and other Yeah. Ones? I mean, we have over 50 speakers and they're all going to talk about different aspects of family. And all of them I've been able to figure out how I'm cousins with. <laughs> and a lot of them are actually business entrepreneur types. So Adam Grant, I don't know if you know him. He was an early guest on the podcast. I love him. Ah, there you go. Yeah, yeah. I love him. Give, give and so, Take is one of the... Uh, most like influential business books I think out there I, I recommend it to everyone yeah it's basically the the thesis is you can be you don't have to be a schmuck you can be a nice guy and be very successful and in fact it helps so essentially yeah. there's, there's no reward in life for being a jerk right and yeah helping people is good for you and everyone else yeah right. I mean great which I hope is true I'm not a hundred percent convinced it is true but I'm I like to pretend that it's true because then I think uh, maybe it'll become true. Yeah, I agree. And for the sake of just getting you up in the morning, realizing helping people isn't a comp- you know waste of time. It's just good for the soul. Exactly. He'll be talking about how to yeah, like how to be nicer, <laughs> basically. Um, but uh, yeah, it it should be very interesting, and uh, it is interesting to see the crossover between family and business too, because we have one of the speakers talking about family businesses and is it a good idea to hand off your business to your kid? What are the, the pros and cons of that? Yeah. My dad had a family business. It's definitely a complicated thing, but if we're all related and we all are going to work together eventually because you're going to help prove that we're all somehow distant cousins. Exactly. We're going to break, we're going to break through. Everything is nepotism. So <laughs> yeah, that's right. A, I've got to write. That's my article I'm writing uh, for LinkedIn is, you know, in praise of nepotism. But since we're all related, everyone uh, is uh, in the nepotism umbrella. Have you outlined the book? It sounds like you're doing this big event, which is going to be all over, hopefully, the Internet. People are going to be sharing out content from it and getting the message out for what you believe in. But then the book side of things, is the book already mostly written or will the event oh. actually be a catalyst? Yeah, the event is sort of the climax, last chapter of the book. I should be writing a lot more and uh, I'm sort of dodging the calls of my publisher because this event planning is taking up all my time. I yeah. didn't realize like quite what an undertaking it is. I have the book outlined in my head and I've taken copious, copious notes, which is a big part of my writing process is just to uh, take thousands of pages of notes and lots of details of you know, what people are wearing and how they move and the color of their sofa. So I like I find uh, if you have enough notes, then you can carve out the book later much more easily. So you're, you're a very low-key person, but it sounds like you have a machine of people helping you. I mean, if there's a massive event going on, you're booking speakers, like how many people, to quote your cousin, it takes a village here. Takes a big village. Yeah, no, I've I've been very lucky because this 
has resonated with so many people, this idea of one big community, one big family. So I have literally hundreds of volunteers who are helping me put this together, and I couldn't do it without them. But there's everything from finding speakers to making T-shirts and to connecting people to the family tree because the idea is if you buy a ticket, uh, then the researchers will take your name and they will uh, figure out how you're connected to the family tree using just a little bit of information like your grandparents' names. Uh, and then So then you can figure out how related to me or Barack Obama or uh, George Clooney, whoever you want. And that is, uh, so we have hundreds of people working on that as well. Talk about this family tree that you're hoping to help contribute to and build out. When did you realize that you're fascinated by the subject matter? Well, I started about two years ago out of the blue. I got an email from this man and he said, I've read your books and you don't know me, but I'm your 12th cousin. And I thought he was going to ask me to wire $10,000 to a Nigerian bank. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but it, it turns out he's part of this team of people who are building the biggest family tree in history. And it is not just a tree anymore. It's a forest. It is huge. And it started with thousands, hundreds of thousands. It's literally up to the biggest one. There are several competing to unite the world. But the biggest one right now is 240 million people. Wow. All on the same family tree, all connected by blood or marriage. And and it could not have happened without DNA testing and t technology, most the Wikipedia approach to family trees, the idea of collaboration. So thousands of people in, in every country in the world working on the same family tree. I love that. I mean, you give people some common mission or goal and give them yeah. internet access and tools and let people go to work. It's true. And they're doing it. They're not getting paid. They just have this mission to connect the world. And I love it. Are there a lot of other authors that cover this subject matter in, in the way you are? I, I mean, obviously, no one, I imagine, is planning a, an event in New York City. <laughs> I hope not. It's certainly gaining a lot of interest right now. I mean, the ancestry topic, even when since I just started a couple of years ago, has has taken off. And there was a Business Week article last year which had an interesting statistic. It said that that ancestry, genealogy was the second most searched topic on the internet. The first, of course, porn. Yeah. You, know, you can't really, you know, it's impossible to compete with that. But uh, but that ancestry and genealogy was number two. I am not a hundred percent sure I believe that. But it was in Business Week, which is not like uh, the National Enquirer. Could you read Newsweek or Business Week, like business books in general, when you were living biblically? Well, it's a good question. I mean, it's uh, a lot of religious people who say that uh, being good at business is is biblical. In fact, did you read about that preacher who was asking, raising $65 million for his new jet? No. Yeah, just just this past weekend, he got in a little bit of uh, trouble. He got some flack. Uh, but yeah, and then there are other people who say, no, the Bible says that you should give away all of your earthly goods. So like everything with the Bible, it is up for debate. There's okay. a quote for from someone, I can't remember who, where he says, uh, uh, 
we read the Bible day and night. I see black and you see white. Uh, that really is. That sounds about right. Yeah. And it wasn't some hack who wrote that. It was yeah. like someone fam- like Coleridge or some famous poet. So that I feel is is true. It is a very, very much up for interpretation, which is why I I find fundamentalism in anything to be very uh, problematic. That's my biggest, I wouldn't call it a pet peeve because it's more than a pet peeve. It's massive. Yeah, it's bigger than that. Yeah, but anything, whenever people are certain of anything, then I am very dubious. Yeah, could turn into a slippery slope of proportions people get out of control because they're so absolute in their thinking. Exactly. I try to be like, even the things that I am almost sure of, I still try to hedge. The grass is green. Yeah, some of it is green, some of it is brown. So the sky is blue. Yeah, sometimes, but sometimes it's other colors. So <laughs> like, I don't like any uh, anyone who's certain of anything. And your writing comes across that you're trying to figure things out. I feel like you know, right. you're know you more of like a, we're all a work in progress. And you're navigating and it, it's like you're uh, writing in real time as you know, you're documenting what you're going through and the experiences. That's right. Yeah, I try. I mean, the... I like that genre of writing, so I try to do it myself where I'm just every man and, and I'm going on a journey and I'm going to take you with me and we're going to learn about this together and I'll do it for you so you don't have to grow a crazy beard and stone adulterers, but I'll, I'll tell you what I find. And then you're covering topics that people can relate to. You're not picking small things here. Like you're picking family, you're picking the Bible. No, that is true. I, that is what I love to do is take the craziest, biggest topic and then try to explore it from every angle. And so I did a book about health, and I tried to be the healthiest person alive with all uh, every workout and diet and sleep and sex and stress and you name it. So that, to me, there was a trend for a while of books about very narrow topics like the history of salt, the history of... uh, uh, the history of uh, belt buckles. And they would try to explain the world using this one small thing, which is interesting. But I like the other approach, which is to take this huge topic and try to look at it from every angle. And then you're your own guinea pig. You're living it versus just doing the research around it. Exactly. I do like to live it. And I do believe that in anything, the, the experiential learning to me is key if you if you want to learn about france you, the best way to do it is go there and eat their croissants and whatever else well, I, was, that, I was impressed by your french accent to begin with so you you could leave you could just drop croissants and i would be totally cool with that <laughs> eat their crescents <laughs> yeah right so for someone like myself who is aspiring to publish a book yes so i've built out the podcast and i love it I get all this different wisdom and, right. and that wisdom will be in the book and people that I profile, you know, I talk to YouTube creators and podcasters and people I'm thinking that are building the next big media companies. Right. And I love it. It's like the influencer economy. I bought the domain years ago. So as you know, books just take so long to, to get out there and much longer than I even anticipated. Right. Um, so I'm so thrilled because I have this proposal done I have a sample chapter done on this guy, Freddie Wong, who 
has 7 million YouTube subscribers and does gaming sci-fi oh. content and uh, raised $2 million to crowdfund his video game high school series. And it's like, I, I feel oh. like these people are so undervalued and right. they're not celebrities and they never will be because they're very focused and they're not techies. So and they're not raising venture capital for their companies. So they're not going to be covered in, you know, the technology business world. Right. Um, so I think it's an interesting, you know, niche space that's only going to get bigger as internet and social media gets more developed. Right. Sure. I think it's a great topic for a book. Uh, and books are very weird right now because people claim to know what the future holds, but they have no idea. And I certainly don't. Uh, uh, for me, one of the big things is that the books are really good as a, a calling card for something else. So before I was doing this project about putting together the biggest family reunion, which takes up all of my time, I was doing a lot of speaking. And if you can get on that circuit, that makes a lot more economic sense than spending two years on a book. But you have to write the book so that you get on the speaking circuit. Right. I've, uh, yeah, I've been teaching classes and I speak at colleges just trying to get rep, reps under my belt. Like I look at the improv was the holy grail in stand-up comedy and I did open mic nights mm -hmm. to get there. Nice. Um, but as far as, you know, navigating the world of publishing, I was going to self-publish at one point. But then friends of mine that knew different agents said, no, you got to put this out there and try to go after and pursue an agent. Yeah, um, it's a good idea. At least initially, why not try? Yeah. And if that doesn't work out, then self-publish. And then the idea, I, I think, would be to be so successful in self-publishing that you get a more traditional publishing deal. Although if you really want wisdom about the publishing industry, I highly recommend James Altucher. I don't know if you've had him on your show. Do you know him? I've never he's, had him uh, on the show, no, but I, I, his podcast is great. Yeah, he's fantastic. And he is uh, great at the business of books. And he no longer goes the traditional publishing. He self-publishes and does it all himself. Uh, and he, he makes much more money that way. And, you know, he has total control. And he's very creative. He's coming up with all these ideas like he's, for one of his books, he said, I will offer you a money back guarantee on this book. <laughs> so if you don't like it, then I'll give you all your money back 100%. You just have to send me the receipt um, or send me proof, like a, just a Amazing. picture. That shows that you you actually read it, and uh, and of course, like say, a third of the people didn't love the book. Who's going to go to the trouble of doing that? Point one percent. So it was a brilliant way to sell books. I love that. Yeah, I need to actually write about him in my book. I actually have. I'm excited about this marketing of my book. Is that I'm going to uh, thank every member of my family. So uh, <laughs> it'll just be like. A hundred pages and ten point font of uh, of people in my it's family. Gonna, it's going to be an addendum at the end of the book. Yeah, exactly. It'll just be like a third of the book, and then you know you have to buy it. Your thing. Oh, this is great. Print. I love it. Well, when, when do you think the book's coming out? I have to put on the event and then actually crank out the book and then publish it. And publishing, as you know, is ridiculously slow. Yeah, you've been gracious with your time. No one interrupted either of us. <laughs> true. We both work. We both uh, work from home, and there's sometimes random people in the frame of the background. 
Yeah, I did hear some shuffling outside my door. But yeah, my, my daughter's taking no. a walk right now. Well, I loved being on the podcast, and uh, I think your book sounds terrific. So I'm sure it'll be a big success, and I look forward to reading Absolutely. it. Absolutely. I'll send you a copy without a doubt. And for your uh, family reunion in New York City, could you throw out more details? I would love anyone to come. We're trying to break the world record of 5,000 people and also raise money for Alzheimer's. The tickets are about 25 bucks, but all proceeds go to Alzheimer's. So please, if you're in the Northeast, go to globalfamilyreunion.com, globalfamilyreunion.com and just uh, buy a ticket or send me a note and we'll get you hooked up to the tree and you can come even if you're not hooked up and we'll hook you up while you're there or at least try. David Blaine going to be there doing a little magic for his cousins. The other thing is, though, if you are not in the Northeast, there are satellite parties all around the world. Uh, most of them are free. And those are just having a live stream of all of the, the talks, the TED-like talks from these people. Check the website, even if you're not in New York. That's fantastic. I don't think I can make it, but I will be buying a ticket. That's great that the money's going to Alzheimer's. Of all places for it to go with a family reunion when you're tracing back lineage. So that's it. That's why I decided, yeah, it's so much about memories. Yeah, you create a compelling uh, argument here. It's hard to uh, <laughs> not want to be a part of this. So. Oh, excellent. That's what I was hoping. Yeah. Well, listen, I'm your cousin, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't lie to you. I'm making, I, you know, you can trust well, me. Cousin AJ, I trust you. <laughs> thank you for coming on the podcast. Well, thank you. It was a pleasure. That was AJ Jacobs. He's a fantastic guest. One of my favorite uh, people I've talked to. I love speaking with authors. Authors make the best guests. They really know what they're talking about. They're clear, articulate, and oftentimes have a clear vision as to where they are going with their book as well as how they talk about it. So love that AJ's got the Global Family Reunion. If you're in New York City, make sure you check out the reunion. He's got all his info on his website. Also, AJ Jacobs is his Twitter. So I want to make sure that you throw him some love. If you're on the email newsletter, I'm uh, actually sending out a link to the listeners to have them attend in, in New York or watch digitally for the uh, family reunion. I think it's so cool that he's trying to map out similarities of us as people and finding commonalities that some people may not think are there, that we're all not too distant or different from one another. So if you're listening on iTunes, please subscribe and review. would love it. If you could do that, it really helps with the visibility of the show. And you want to find me on Twitter, I'm at Ryan J. Will. And finally, since you're listening this long, I have an exclusive uh, announcement for podcast listeners. If you have a show, would love to hear from you, no matter if it's massive on the front page of iTunes as a top 10 show, or you're just starting out and you have a up and coming listenership. I am just wanting to hear about some new podcast ideas for a project I'm working on and helping podcasters. So hit me up, ryan at influencereconomy.com. But I'll give you more details. If you email me, would love to hear from you, help you, and tell you what I'm thinking. So if you have a podcast, find me and uh, we'll talk. Anyway, enough about me. I'm rambling. It's so nice today in LA. I'm recording this outside on a, on a chair. It's actually my daughter's chair. It's <laughs> If you look to me right now, the chair is literally for my daughter who's a year and a half and I'm sitting on a pink chair. So uh, that makes me happy. The podcast makes me happy and I hope you are happy. 
So uh, I'm heading over to Duke Zebert's for some chicken in the pot. Red Baron, hello.